You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. As growing up, I grew up in church, and the church that I grew up in um, it was really important that everyone brought their Bible. In fact, if you brought your Bible all the time, you would get this little pin that you wore because you had your Bible all the time. And we sang songs about the Bible. Saying the song, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Stand alone on the word. In fact, the book, the actual book, the Bible, was was referenced and you almost had the feeling like if you dropped it, you were sinning. Like this is this holy, that's good, the reverence part for God's word. In truth, this is basically leather with paper with ink on. There's lots of these sitting all over the world doing nothing. This actual physical thing is is a book. But in it is the authoritative words spoken by God that will never ever go away. So at the same time, it's when I was a kid, I thought this was like one of those sabers in Star Wars. You just hold it up. And it's not like that. It's, it's not magic. But it is the authoritative word of God. We're talking about habits that help you have a healthy soul. We can't have one of those without the word of God. This is the thing that never, ever moves. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So when, how are we supposed to live with this? Let me start with a, a picture for you. If you've ever had the opportunity to learn another language, you know that it's not a two-week process. It's, it's a long journey, and especially if you actually have to use it. You don't just need it to get a a grade at the end of the school year, actually your life depends on it. Having experienced that, it is a journey. In 1989, Ellen and I got on an airplane headed to West Africa with a year-long stop in France to learn French so that we would have French, and then when we got to Africa, we could use French to learn yet another language. I thought, how complicated can this be? Yes. So it's just a bunch of words. Learn the words and then off you go. So you jump in and this is a dog and this is a hat and this. And then you realize that if all you have is words and gestures, you can only get so far. You actually have to put them together in a form and make sentences and you gotta learn all this stuff. So I'm studying at the Sorbonne, go every morning to do grammar classes. We're about a month in and getting the words Now we're going to shape sentences and we're learning how to use a future tense of a verb. So she's explaining it, I'm getting it, and then she just turns around from the chalkboard and goes, points right at me. Form a phrase for us using the future. You freeze. So, I thought, okay. Say it to yourself in English and then just put French words in there. So like, okay, future. Tonight I will eat. Simple, just use French words and put them in each slot. Ce soir, je serai manger. 
Well, if she would have been an American professor, she would have said, that was such a good try. Congratulations, wasn't it? It was a French professor, and she just started roaring with laughter. What I actually said was, tonight, I will be eaten. And she says, I knew you Americans were cannibals. Now I have proof. But I got it. A year of learning, and now we're off to West Africa. We get to this village where we're going to be working and launch into my French, and it's, it's very different there. And I got to learn a whole new context. And so we've been there about a month, and there's a knock on the gate. Toc, toc, toc. I go to the gate, concentrate, so I get what this guy's saying. So he said something to me, and all I heard in there was the word pastor. So. We're actually living in a town with the Ivadian pastor that we're working with, and so I'm thinking the pastor sent him. Okay, got it. So, being the cultural genius that I am, I knew that if somebody comes to the gate to sell something to you, you, you just be nice, and then you say thank you, and then they leave. Somebody comes, and they came to visit you, but you don't really know them, you invite them onto the front porch. But if they're somebody that you do know and that it's important, then you invite them into the living room and serve them something to drink. I thought, well, the pastor sent this guy, so this is really important. So I invite him in, and he comes in, he sits down, I serve him a Coke, and then I call my wife, who actually can speak French, and come find out what it is that he needs. So she comes out, and she turns to me, and she says, why is this farmer sitting in our living room drinking a Coke? It's important to find out. So she comes in. She comes back. She says, the word for pastor is just like the word for watermelon, pastec. And the guy's selling watermelon. <laughs> He's probably still telling stories to his kids. Man, I'm selling this guy invites me in for lunch. <laughs> so you can actually know the words and even know the forms. And then at a deeper level, you got to learn the content. Sometimes we take it and we grab little words out of it and, and we jump on those. The longer you walk with it, it's just deeper and deeper and deeper. And as you learn to live in it, it literally transforms you. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not these words. Another image that I want to use this morning is one that Jesus uses. He often talked about his word as food. It actually is soul food. It is what gives your soul health and life. When somebody physically stops eating and drinking, it's a sign that the end is probably near. The physical body is beginning to die. The body finds sustenance and life and food and drink. When somebody stops eating and drinking, the end is near. In the same way, the soul, Jesus says, needs sustenance. He says, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, he says, my food is to do the words, the will of the one who sent me. It gives life 
So your soul is to hear God's word, listen to God's word, and do it. So, so this revelation that we've been given, this, these scriptures, it's not ink on paper. It is actually the living word of God. And we are invited to receive it and do it. And when that happens, our souls thrive. This is the way Eugene Peterson puts it. The Bible, all of it, is livable. It is the text for living your life. It reveals a God-created, God-ordered, God-blessed world in which we find ourselves at home and whole. So, let's take a few minutes this morning. How do you access it? How do you, if it's food for your soul, what does that look like? Let me use some of Jesus' words and, and talk about three ideas that I think will help us. One is, when the Bible talks about itself, when God's word is spoken of, it's often attached to the word authority. God's word has authority. That's different than power. Power is like force. Authority is much deeper than that. So, one day, Jesus is with his friends. They're out in a boat. It's at nighttime, and this storm comes up. And I'm not talking about, like, a little bit of rain and wind. I mean, rocking their boat. So much so that these men who spend every day on the lake are literally shaking. They don't know what to do. They go, somebody wake Jesus up. So they draw lots, and who's going to wake Jesus up? So somebody wakes Jesus up. And says, Jesus is not going well. Jesus stands up and he turns and he speaks to the wind and the waves. And he says to the wind and the waves, stop. And the wind and the waves, stop. That's authority. He didn't jump out of the boat and wrestle with the waves. Calm down, stop it, stop it. He just spoke. Because he had authority over the wind and the wave. The people that were around when Jesus was here, they would often say, that guy when he speaks, he talks like somebody who has authority. Like what he says actually is. This word that we've been given is the authority of God. He didn't conquer death with power. He did it with authority. He didn't like have his go around with death and he we won. Satan took his life, but he had no authority to do it. Because the authority for life is in God's hands. And on the third day, he came back to life. So these words are not like magical power. It's not knowing these certain doctrines and it's actually submitting to the writer of the story. This is what it says in Hebrews 4. The word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It has 
the authority to penetrate even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This, this word, these words of God can literally cut so deep that they divide your intentions and your motives and not to destroy you, but to heal you. It's God's authority. Here's the second idea. When we talk about the Bible, the, the scriptures, what, what is their intent? Why was this given to us? Well, what's sure is it was not given to us to inform us. This is not so you have information about God. It was actually given to transform us. It is to reveal to us who God is and invite us into a life with Him. So what is, what is it? Let me tell you first what it's not. Often when we talk about the Bible, we talk about it like it's an owner's manual. Like a car. If this happens, you can do this. If it makes this noise, that's what you do. If you're feeling this, do that. That's not what this is. This is a revelation about the person of God. The creator of the universe. About his love for a people and for all people, and the sending of this, it, it's a story about God that we get to be part of. It's also not a book of like spiritual tidbits, like it's got this little tidbit of wisdom, and that is true, there's wisdom in it, but that's not what this is for. It's also not a private book. It's very personal, but it's not private. It's personal. It's spoken to every human being. But it was never intended to be mine, or yours, or anybody's. It's everybody's. Let me read these words to you from 2 Timothy. He says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have been convinced of because you know those for whom, from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is he saying? He's saying that these words were written by men by the inspiration and the breath of God. They are God's word spoken to us and they are good. When he's saying good works, he's not talking about your behavior. He's talking about learning to live in the wisdom of God. Good works are our lives. They're wisdom. Knowledge informs us Wisdom transforms us, and they're not the same thing. Wisdom is the capacity to live life well with God and with other people. And if you live in these words, you will find God's wisdom. You can be really smart and unwise at the same time. You can know all these verses and not find wisdom. Wisdom is when you actually believe them and put them into practice. 
So, John, the friend of Jesus, near the end of his life, Jesus gives him a vision. It's what we call the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. He wrote it from a vision that he received. He's on an island, but don't get the wrong picture. He's not sitting under a palm tree with a coconut drink, looking at a movie and writing it down. He's a prisoner. He's, he's a castaway. He's on that island as a prisoner for his faith in Jesus Christ. And while he's there, God reveals to him this picture. The picture is about the way that the story ends, but ultimately it's not actually about that. What it's actually about is Jesus Christ. In fact, he says that right in the beginning. This is a revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Then he sees all these pictures. Halfway into it, he's receiving this, he's writing it down to pass on, and then an angel appears in the vision. This fairly, um, what's the word in English? This, this really powerful angel. That's the word I'll use. So, this imposing figure. And in the vision, the angel has one foot on a continent and one foot in the ocean. Why? Because this angel is speaking a message that is for the whole earth standing on the earth. And in the angel's hand is a scroll, a Bible, the word of God. And the angel is preaching. And it says that the message is so powerful that it's like thunder. What is he preaching? He's preaching the words of God. What's been revealed, what's been said. And he's explaining it. And he's, it's so powerful that it's shaking the earth. So, what's the book? The book is the word of God. It's God's story. It's what he did and what he's doing. And he's telling. That's really important. The word of God has been given to us mostly as a story. Why didn't he give it to us more mathematically? Then we couldn't interpret it wrong. Because mathematics, this is one answer. I found some other answers, but they were always wrong. There's only one right answer. So why didn't he just use a formula? Because it's hard to say I love you with a math formula. You say it with a story. And the story reveals. And, and so most of the Bible is actually written as a story, a narrative, so that we can know him be transformed by him. If you want to know something about my marriage, I can tell you information. My wife's name is Ellen. She's this tall. I met her in this year. We got married in this year. You know nothing about my marriage. If you want to know about my marriage, I have to tell you stories. And in the stories, you'll learn. If you want to know about God, you learn it story. And that's what this has been given to us. At. And in the story it tells us how we got here. 
and who God is and why it matters and how does the story end. Ultimately, Eugene Peterson says, the story is a broadly conceived story about following Jesus. It's the meta-narrative that makes sense and embraces the whole story. That's what the story is about. Interesting. So the angel's preaching about this. Peter, when he preached on Pentecost, what did he do? He told the story. This is what happened. This is what the prophet said. This is what Jesus did. This is what the angel is telling the story. And then the angel stops and says in verse 8, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. He said, go and take the scroll, the book that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So the angel is giving to John the message. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. Hmm. What does that mean? means that the way that you receive this word is not by learning things about it. You receive it by taking it into your person, lock, stock, and barrel. You let it enter your being and change you. the street we're looking at 
was the heavens, the sky, the clouds, rainbows, airplanes. People on the street could see the warehouse people have no heavens above them. All they have is a roof. So Bart says, what would happen if one day one of those kids cut a door out of the warehouse and talked a few of his friends into going out with him and they discover an immense sky above them and the endless horizons. And he says, that's what happens when you open the Bible. All of a sudden you enter a totally unfamiliar world, the world of God, a world of creation and salvation stretching across eternity. Life in the warehouse can't prepare you for that. That's what this is for. It's to reveal to you this God and invite you into the story. So, back to the question. So, how do you digest it? He says, eat it. How does that happen? James says it like this. Do not merely listen to these words and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to this word but doesn't do what it said is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Remember reading that as a kid thinking, that's not always a bad idea. <laughs> you look and go, that's awful. That's not what he's saying. He says, whoever looks intently into this perfect law, these words of God that give freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. These words are meant to transform us, not to teach us how to judge people better. So how do you digest it? How do you... There's lots, probably lots of ways that that can happen. Let me suggest one to you this morning that comes, actually, it's been for a number of centuries from some of the early church fathers. It's what they called Lecto Divina. It's just a Latin word for sacred reading. You know, Pastor, why are you teaching us these weird things? Trust me, it's not a sect. It's just a, this is a way that you could encounter this and and digest it. So what, what does the practice look like? If you're going to learn to let this book transform you, it's like learning a language. It takes a lifetime to live with it and learn. Here's what the practice looks like. The first thing, I'm going to lay it out in order, but it doesn't actually always happen in order. It's just a way to learn to live with these words in a transformative way. The first is lecto, which simply means to read. Read the words. Read it out loud. Now, hear me. It is really good when you have the time to read this thing from cover to cover. Because when you know the whole story, the words in the story make more sense. If you don't know the story, like if you come up to somebody who's never seen Star Wars and you say, may the force be with you. What? You got to know the story. The same is true of the Bible. 
But what I'm talking about is the daily discipline of letting these words be transformative in your soul. Take a few verses and read them. Read them out loud. Listen to them. Read them in another version. Listen. Just sit. These are actually the inspired words of God. Read them. If you're not a strong reader, you're born in the right generation. There are like 80 apps out there. I have no idea how you get them, but if you can get one, you can listen to it. Hear the words of God. So take four or five verses, read them, listen to them, read them again. Let them start to just soak in you. Read. Second thing, meditation. Bible calls us often to meditate on God's Word. This is a story. Stories use metaphors. Enter into the story. You gotta, you gotta feel it. That's what a metaphor is for. You read the Psalms. It says, God is my rock. That's not literal. That's metaphorical. That's painting a picture for you of who he is. The Lord is my shepherd. So you, you see it and you feel it. And you enter into the story. What does that mean? Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings as eagles. Meditate on it. Think about it. The word actually that's most often translated from Hebrew the word haka is translated to meditate. It, it's, it's not as we picture meditation. This is not sitting with a cup of coffee and a candle thinking happy thoughts and meditating. This is like an action word. Meditate! Uses it for dogs when they chew their bone. And then they bury it, they pull it back out again, and they do it again, and then... That's what meditating looks like. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, 30, chapter 31, he says, As a lion growls, a great lion roaring over his prey. That's the word meditate. Just, oh, I can't wait to eat this one. That's what meditating looks like. It's taking God's word and letting it go inside you and examine you and meditate on it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly and sit with sinners, but he finds his delight in the law of the Lord. And, and if he does that, it will be like a tree planted by a tree. Meditate on it. Let it so. Again, these don't have to happen in this order. I try to start every day with this one. Meditate. Think about it. I am a legalist at heart. Don't worry, you are too. You're born with it. Legalists believe is that if you perform well enough, you will be loved. And it's, it's like the narrative that we bought. And if you don't do anything, it'll just be waiting for you when you wake up. That's not what this word says. This word says, 
He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And he will cast no one out. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, it is by grace that you have been saved. Not because of something you did. It is a gift of God. So then, just sit with that. Let it rewrite the narrative of the day for you. It's what's true. Read. Meditate. Horatio. I, I speak Latin with a French accent, sorry. That simply means to listen, to pray. Don't just come to God's Word as a lesson. Come to it as a conversation. God's speaking and you're listening. And, and listen and talk to Him. So when, as you read, God, what are you saying to me today? Wait for His Spirit to talk to you, to show you. It's also a time to, to talk to Him. Pour out your heart to God. So you're reading something today and it's saying to you, be careful of the words that you speak. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't gossip. So you sit with that with God. What are you saying to me? You might need to have a conversation. Okay, God, nice, nice thought. But where I work, uh, my whole work is built on gossip. So how's that going to work? And if I transition from not being a, from being a gossip to not being one, people are going to think that I'm being holier than thou. And then what if I do it for three days and then I forget and I screw up? Then what's going to have the conversation with him? Let him talk to you and convince you of what he said. Listen. The last step is contemplation. Contemplation is not the same thing as meditation. Contemplation is the process of nailing down what God just said to you and what you're going to do about it. James says, don't just hear this stuff. Do it. As you do this, it comes alive because you see the works of God. So, again, this is not do this step and this, but it's just this is one way that it can work. If you already have a way that you're doing this and it's working for you, praise God. If, if you're looking for, hey, it's really a great practice of learning to digest the words of God. So, let me close. Medieval times, in the Catholic Church, there was not much of a written word. Most of the words were received orally. That's actually a good thing. When words are oral, they have a different ring to them. So, the story was passed on. If you go to Notre Dame in Paris and you walk into the building itself, the building itself, because most people when it was built were illiterate, tells the story. It's in the pillars, it's in the windows. It's in the whole story of creation and redemption. If you just look at the building, it tells the story. And it was passed on oral. But as is usually the case, the church we, we, we take a left turn. So there was a left turn taken, and, and at a time, the Word of God actually became prisoner 
and the, the lay people couldn't touch it anymore. And so there was a reformation. One of the things in the reformation was this word is for everybody. We're going to translate it into every language. And it was about the same time that the printing press happened. And some of the first people who translated these words into English were burned at the stake. But they believed that this word was for everybody. That's good news. The challenge for us is that when something's written on paper, we tend to treat it like it's a textbook, like it's something to be learned and studied and words, to, and it is, but this is not a textbook. This is the living word of God. It is God's authority. A number of years ago, Ellen and I had a small sum of money that we'd never had the opportunity to invest money, so he called a financial advisor and he came over and I think he probably laughed to himself, like, what are these people getting so excited about? We're not going to break Wall Street with this investment. But he was kind and he explained to us, this is what you do. And was, uh, so the market at that time was kind of in a little bit of a volatile thing. So he said, so what happens if the market drops? Do we take our money out? He said, no, 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 that's not how the market works. You leave it it will always bounce back. So I said, okay. I said, I just want to write your words down. It will always bounce back. Yeah, he said, historically, that's what always happens. So if you just be patient. I said, okay, I just want to make sure I got this right. It always bounces back. Well, he said, there may come a day, but the wisdom would say that this is what will happen. His word has history with it, but it doesn't have ultimate authority. I'm not talking about the stock market this morning, but the day will probably come when it doesn't go back up. He's probably looking at me like, dude, you're asking questions. What you're investing is not gonna make a big difference whether it goes up or down. Just relax. I didn't really care about the market. I was just interested in his words. There are words, however, that will always stand. And they are the ones that are spoken by God. And they will never, ever, ever change. They will never, ever, ever not be true. And he wants us to eat them, to, to allow our lives to be shaped by these words. I'm gonna pray and invite the team to come. And we're gonna sing a song of response this morning, just the response what we've said this morning is surrender. You know what? I knew I just surrender to your words, to you. So as I come, let me pray for us and then we'll stand and sing together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's you that came towards us. You revealed yourself to us so that we could know and that you have spoken. You've spoken telling us what would happen, the, the coming of Jesus and the second return of Jesus and thank you. And so we just surrender anew to you this morning. We choose to trust in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. 
If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.